So good. What a team and uh, what a great song to have us thinking and reflecting here this morning. I'm glad no one has been lost in the pool on the front yard. Um, at least I hope that's the case. We didn't position any lifeguards near it this morning, but I'm trusting that nobody fell in. If you're walking on the sidewalk as you go home today, please be careful as you pass by that, uh, that place. We'll be working on our drainage. We haven't had any reason to do that for quite a while, nor have we known that we had an issue. Now we do. Man, it's good to see you, and it's great to, great to be together in worship. Um, and uh, I was telling the class this morning, by the way, Discovering Coast Community class um, was, dare I say, off the hook. I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> it was rocking this morning. What a crew. And we packed into, uh, we're running out of room in our church, by the way. Uh, this is a good problem. But um, at 9 o'clock, pretty much every square foot of this building is filled with people. And uh, that's, a, that's a sweet deal. So we were in the game room. I told him if things dragged, we could always play air hockey. But, uh, but we had a great time just thinking and, and believing. But I told him this morning that, that on a rainy weekend, especially as, you know, when it hasn't rained for a while and all the Santa Barbara people start to, like, freak out because there's something coming out of the sky, um, you, know, you, you never quite know who may or may not show up for church. So when I rolled in here and saw people here and the place bustling and you're here, that, uh, that does my heart good. So great job. Thanks for getting out of bed and being here today. I'm going to let the kids go for Children's Church. Have a great time. And uh, we're moving on in our study of the story. We're tracing the biblical narrative. And uh, the kids are going to be learning the same story today, and we're going to be looking at it in our small groups this week. We're coming to the end of the Old Testament part of the story. Uh, this week and next week, we're getting ready to move into the New Testament, the stories of Jesus and Paul, the Apostle, in a, few, uh, in a couple weeks. It's going to be a great spring. I just want to encourage you again, if you're kind of uh, wavering in your dedication, your commitment to this 31-week journey through the story, then hold on. And, and don't just hold on. Don't just kind of, you know, tie a, we, we use this phrase a couple times this week, tie a rope and hang on to it. But, but, but actually engage. And, and maybe you're just needing to kind of re-engage this week with the Scripture. Get your book out. Get your Bible out. Whatever you need to do. Read. Engage. Study. Think. Pray. If you've been a part of a small group but you haven't been for a few weeks, get back. Get back to it. And reconnect with your people and, uh, and, and make sure that you're learning and you're studying, you're growing together. We've got, again, uh, 10 or 11 weeks of this study left to go. And it's just getting ready to kind of ramp up as we head into the New Testament. So now is not the time to be kind of like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this anymore. <laughs> now is the time to be saying, come on, let's go. Let's get into this. Because God's Word is alive and it is um, just reaching and extending this story is meaningful to our hearts and our lives and we need each other and by there's no way that we can cover everything uh, in this time frame that that the word has to teach us so so be connecting with people I know that you will uh, do that uh, in the weeks to come so before we leave the new old testament move to the new in the next two weeks we have two of the most engaging stories in I believe all of scripture uh, 
And, uh, you know, movies actually have been made uh, regarding these texts. And not just they could, but they have been. And so I am so excited to take a look at these over the next couple of weeks. And the one this week comes from the life of Esther and from the book, uh, biblical book by the same name. So if you have a Bible, turn there with me, the book of Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Uh, and you can flip over to chapter 4. And I'm going to read this, uh, this entire chapter. We're jumping kind of right into the heart of the, uh, the, the action Jumping right into the heart of the story, and some of you know the story well, and you'll be like, you'll know exactly what is going on here, and some of you uh, will not, and we'll, don't worry, we'll do a flashback, and we'll, we'll get you up to speed on, on where we are in the story, but this is such a, just a powerful part of the story. So let's stand together, let me read it for us. The book of Esther, page 370, in my Bible, probably not yours. Chapter 4, and verses 1 to 17 will be on the screen as well. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. And you can tell why movies are made of this stuff. 
I mean, powerful. You ever had a moment in life or been in a particular situation? You look around at the people that you're with, and, uh, and, and you realize they're looking back at you. You're kind of expecting maybe they'll do something, and they're looking back at you waiting for you to do something. This happened to me uh, a couple of years ago, I guess now it is, when we were in Guatemala. Who went to Guatemala with us? Was that two years ago? Crazy. You didn't go. Uh, Aaron's raising his hand. I didn't even know him two years ago. <laughs> By the way, pause button. Today is the one-year anniversary of Aaron Kaluza. That's what happens when you raise your hand at me in the middle of my sermon. It's a joy to have him on board. I'm in Guatemala, and we're doing these Jesus, or these, uh, yeah, these evangel bracelet things. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you have no idea an evangel what, <laughs> but uh, they're these bracelets that have these colors on them, and I don't have one right now, but the colors help tell the story of the gospel message, the gospel presentation as to how you can come to know Jesus Christ in your life. And we've been training in Guatemala for the first few days that we're there about how to present this, the gospel in Spanish, uh, using our little bracelets. And we've been challenged by the missionary there to, to share that message at least one time while we were there. And so we've been practicing on each other. You know, I got saved about five times on that trip. It was awesome. Um, we've been practicing on little kids because they can't speak that well, their language either. And so, you know, they wouldn't correct us as much. But suddenly, I'm, one afternoon, we went out um, to go door to door, house to house, and share the message. And I was with another pastor from our district who's a Latino pastor, speaks Spanish very well, it's native language. And, and I was with him, and I thought, sweet, I got the right partner. You know, this is the way to go. I'm with the right man. And uh, so we go to the first house, and they open the door, and he begins a conversation. I'm nodding, see, si, muy bien, bueno, you know, all the Spanish that I, I know. And um, uh, he goes into this, and suddenly I hear him, you know, the amarillo, and the blanco, and the negro, and the rojo, and he's, he's telling the whole story about the gospel message. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus, let's, let's do it. This is good, and uh, it's going well, and, you know, makes a presentation. The person didn't accept Jesus at that point, but, you know, I'm interested. I'll come to the Jesus film later on. This is all good. So we go on. I think we probably went to two or three houses like that. He makes the presentation. The, the fourth one, I'm just getting really comfortable. I'm like, yeah, this is great. Fourth one, knocks on the door. They answer. He says some introductory comments, and then he goes like this, Pastor, Preach. you do when the group because it wasn't just him it was a few others of us as well suddenly and the person that has been summoned to their door are looking at you waiting for you to do something well I did something I really don't know what I did but I did something and I shared to the best of my ability and the 
pastor helped me out, and the person was very gracious. And I don't think Jesus was embarrassed by the whole thing. In fact, I think he was glorified. I've had lots of moments in my life like this, where I've been with a group of people, and an issue has come up. Maybe it's been a challenging situation or a crisis moment. And I've been in the circle at the table, and I've kind of looked around, and I've been like, yeah, what are we going to do? And I realized they're all kind of looking back at me. I, I remember my first board meeting here at Coast Community Church 16 and a half years ago. These people had been led by God to bring me as their pastor. And I was fresh out of seminary, 27 years old, and I thought it was a great idea as well until I sat down at that first board meeting and realized that they were waiting for me to, like, you know, say what we were going to do and stuff and what, what was next for the direction of the church. And, and I realized these eyes are looking back at me, and I'm kind of, you know, looking over my shoulder, waiting. Yeah, somebody's coming. They'll do it. It'll be great, really. It'll be awesome. Nobody was coming. You know this feeling, maybe you've been in a group project at school, some of you students, those group projects, ugh, I, I don't know. Usually, as a student, my recollection of group projects was just shared, pooled ignorance, or, you know, not, not knowing what to do, so we're just going, oh, I don't know, what do you want to do? Well, let's just draw something. Okay, that sounds good. You talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Well, you talk about it. I don't, well, I'll talk about it, the person that you really didn't want to talk about it. But maybe sometimes, again, you've been in some group projects where nobody's going to do anything, and suddenly you just realize if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because I, I do it. I, I take charge. I step into the vacuum of leadership to the, where the need is presenting itself, and I show myself as, as one who, who can lead in this capacity. And maybe you've been on the same situations on some of your work teams, some of your situations in your, in your families where there's just this vacuum where there's this great need but nobody emerging and you're looking around all over your shoulders waiting for somebody to emerge and nobody is and you realize, I think it's me. I think it's me. There have been ministries in our church that have emerged over the years because there were vacuums, there were empty spaces, there were great needs and somebody came to me and said, I think it's, I think it's me. I think I've got to do that. I think we've got to leave that. And it's a beautiful situation every, every time. Well, the, um, the, uh, the question for us this morning is when that situation comes, when that tap on our shoulder, uh, we, we feel it. When the, the vacuum is created and we're looking over our shoulders and nobody's coming, we realize it's us. How are we going to respond? Esther uh, faced a similar situation just on a much larger, grander scale than most of us have ever or will ever face. All eyes were on her, and, and you picked up a little bit of that in this passage. All eyes were on her. The fate of her people, the, the Jewish people, they had, they had begun to be called that during their time in exile in Babylon. The Jewish people, the fate, their fate rested on her willingness to act on their behalf, to, to stand courageously for them, to not only risk losing her position to which she had attained, but to risk losing her very life for their safety and for their well-being. Was Mordecai right? Was indeed this the time that Esther had really been created for? Was this the time to which she had come? Was this the time that she'd been waiting for? Or 
as I thought about it, perhaps better said, was this the, the time that had been waiting for Esther? And uh, I think about that in our own lives. Well, again, some of you might be new to the story, so we need to rewind it a little bit and understand what had brought Esther to this point. It's an amazing story, really filled with drama and just irony, uh, just gripping with uh, uh, great plot twists and turns. And I'll do my best here for a moment, but my, I know my summary won't do it justice, so I hope, again, I challenge, I encourage you to go and read this this week if you haven't already. Read it again if you've read it before. And... and Though the Bible's not always known as a page-turner. Go ahead, you can admit it. Some, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. I think it will be when you read the book of Esther. I don't think you'll be able to put it down. Give yourself, you know, a half hour or maybe, yeah, about a half hour, and especially in the story, and that will get you through it, and you won't be able to put it down until you've finished it. But the story's set in the 5th century, uh, early part of the 5th century in Babylon, which is now, as we learned last week, now is a part of the Persian Empire. Persian Empire had come, taken Babylon, and as we learned last week, Persia, when they conquered Babylon, had instituted this new policy for dealing with the exiles that Babylon had gathered to themselves. Their policy was to send them back to their homeland and let them be happy exiles or happy captives. They weren't exiles anymore. Uh, and so they'd done that with the Israelites. 50,000 of them had gone back in that first sending back to their land. But we also know that many of the Israelites stayed behind in Babylon. They had settled down there. Jeremiah had encouraged them to do that 70 years before. They had made their homes there. They had given their children in marriage there. They had established families. Many of the Jewish people had uh, risen to important places of leadership, even within the Persian government. Uh, lots of things had kept them there. And Esther and her cousin... Mordecai, make that connection, were at least, uh, they were at least third generation. It says, seems to say that explicitly, but some scholars think maybe that's just a reference to kind of a deeper family line, but it looks like they were third generation exiles. Mordecai's father, grandfather, he was the third one there. His grandfather had been brought in exile uh, to, Babylon, to Babylon from uh, Israel. So we don't know all the reasons why they stayed behind. Um, but we know that things had not been easy for these two. We learned that, that Esther herself wasn't an orphan. Her father and mother had been killed. She was alone. And Mordecai, her cousin, evidently a, a bit older, had taken her in as his own daughter and had um, cared for her and raised her. It's really a rags-to-riches story. One thing evidently Esther did have going for her was her good looks and uh, her beauty. And when the Persian queen Vashti was deposed by the Persian king Xerxes for her somewhat obstinate behavior, um, uh, there was a, some auditions basically for a new queen and Esther won. Kind of a combination I read this week between, I don't know, the one about what's the reality show with the model and Simon Cowell and who's the Tyra Banks, right? Wasn't she a judge of some model show? Yeah, sorry. Haven't been watching. Um, <laughs> that's probably good. If I could name the title exactly of the supermodel reality shows, that would probably be problematic. Um, anyway, Esther ends up winning out from orphaned foreigner to queen of the Persian Empire. Not bad. Not bad. 
about that. The story goes, however, that the king had a right-hand man named Haman. Haman was not a nice guy, to the understatement of the day. Mordecai seemed to know about this, and Haman, about Haman, and when Haman would pass by, uh, he would refuse to bow down to him, as the king had told all the palace officials to do. And uh, Mordecai, or Mordecai did not bow down. Kind of reminds me of some other uh, Israelite exiles uh, in dealing with the, the authorities around them. Refused to bow down, and Haman didn't like this, didn't make him happy. And on account of his disrespect, Haman looked for a way not only to kill Mordecai, but to go ahead and just annihilate the entire uh, race of Jewish people within the Persian Empire. All, all at one shot. I mean, why just kill one when we can commit mass genocide against a, an entire people? And so having the attention of the king, it was not long until Haman had within his hands and was sending out to the various parts of the empire a royal decree that on a certain day, all the people of the Persian Empire would be encouraged to take up arms and strike every Jewish person, man, woman, child, elder in within the empire and eradicate this people and plunder their possessions. It was at this point where we kind of came into the story and Mordecai, who was in great mourning because of this edict that had gone out, was able to extend communication to his cousin who had been raised as his daughter, who was now the queen of Persia, extending this communication to her that there is serious problems going on out here and you have got to do something about this sharing the message with her, hoping, praying, believing that maybe if anybody could do anything, she could do something. And she had not yet revealed to the king at this point that she was, in fact, a Jew herself. And based on the decision that he had just made to eliminate her people, she had no reason to think that he would look on this bit of information with pleasure or uh, allow her even to continue in her role, allow her to keep on living. Add to this fact that it was simply not even allowed, as she states in the chapter that we read for her, or anyone to even approach the king without him summoning them with his golden scepter, or else they'd be put to death. And things were not looking good for Esther. Things were not looking good for Mordecai. Things were not looking good for the Jewish, Jewish people. But bolstered by the prayers and the fasting of God's people. Did you, I mean, I don't think, you know, God's hidden hand is at work all the time. Is it just just a happenstance that this Sunday falls the Sunday before First Wednesday? When we think about praying and fasting and interceding for the people of God, here we are hearing Esther saying, I don't know what I'm going to do, but get the people together. Have them pray for me, fast for me, seek God for me. Oh, people, side note, this one's free, sidebar, come on in. Can we fast and pray for one another? You're facing all sorts of challenges. I am, we are. We need the prayers of our brothers and sisters supporting us and strengthening us. We, we need us to go to bat for each other. And, and I just kind of believe that maybe this is more than just a, 
I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh yeah, who's that that was asking me to pray for them? Oh yeah, God, I can't remember who it was, but you know, so be with them. Maybe we need to own it a little bit more. And, and maybe our first Wednesdays is that moment, again, as Aaron said, a long obedience in the same direction. We're not giving up on this, folks. And so if you haven't joined in, then maybe this Wednesday is a great time to start. Again, you don't have to starve yourself for the day. If you're not ready for that, then just maybe fast. It's, it happens to be Ash Wednesday as well, the beginning of Lent this coming um, Wednesday. A great time perhaps to, to enter into a fast of a particular item of food or a particular activity or one meal a week or one meal a day or something like that that would help you to be mindfully drawn to who God is and put your own thoughts and wishes out of the way so that you can dial into what God's thoughts and wishes are. A great way to go to bat for each other, to stand in the gap for each other as Esther was pleading for God's people to do for her. And um, spoiler alert coming in a remarkable turn of events. <laughs> um, King Xerxes did receive Esther. She did hear, he did hear her case. And in the plot twists of all plot twists, the irony of all irony, Haman is the one who is executed. Mordecai is the one who is exalted. God's people are the ones who are saved through the stature and through the strength of God's servant, Esther. Well, interestingly, I don't know if you'll catch this, so I'll just go ahead and mention it, but as you read, you'll discover that there's no direct mention of God himself in this story. Interesting. No explicit reference to the person of God. But as we might say, his fingerprints are all over it. Here we have several themes in this story that we've been, have been presented to us over and over in the pages of Scripture to this point. The first and most notable, perhaps, the ongoing practice. So this is a little bit of a review. The ongoing practice of God to use the seemingly unexpected and unimportant people of this world to carry out his purposes. To use his people, unexpected and seemingly unimportant people, to carry out what he's wanting to get done in the world. Remember, it was Moses, the shepherd who was in hiding on the run for 40 years. Do you remember that? Called out by a burning bush to return to Egypt to lead God's people out of slavery. It is Joseph, the son who had been sold into slavery, whose power rises in the Egyptian ranks and provides for God's people, again, saving them, in a sense, by providing for them during the great time of famine. It's David, the lowly shepherd boy, again, who with one shot brings down the giant Goliath and grants God's people freedom. Now it's Esther in this long line of lowliness long tradition of the nobodies who God uses to deliver, to deliver his people from danger. Well, I uh, got a reminder on my phone. I, I, I don't pay attention to these things necessarily, but I probably should. But I was reminded that uh, March is officially Women's History Month. 
Who knew? I don't know if they just made that up. But I'm grabbing it. I'm going with it. So ladies, it's all about you. This is ladies month. Forget ladies night. This is ladies month. And uh, particularly as a part of our denomination, um, some of you are just getting to know who we are in the Church of the Nazarene, and, and uh, some of you really don't care, and that's okay. Wherever, wherever you are today, that's all right. But I just want to tell you that particularly as a part of our denomination, this, this, uh, this body of believers that for over a century now has called themselves by the name of the Church of the Nazarene, and has celebrated women in ministry and encouraged women in ministry from our very inception. In fact, the first church of the Nazarene in Santa Barbara began in 1910. It existed until about 1955, at which time it closed its doors, and began again in 1960 as Trinity Church of the Nazarene, which has become Coast Community Church of the Nazarene. But if you look back in the annals of history in our own local church, those early years especially, guess who were the pastors? At least two or three women within the first ten years of the existence of our church. We owe our existence to the ministry of, as a local church, to the ministry of some faithful Ladies who, uh, who wouldn't be um, kind of pushed into certain corners and instead extended themselves into this role. We dare not move past. We all have maybe some of us have different views on this subject. That's okay. But we dare not move past the book of Esther without particularly speaking to women and to young girls, if I can especially speak to my junior high and my high school girls right now. We dare not move past this story of Esther. Look at me, Katie. Just look at me. <laughs> that was so embarrassing. So embarrassing. Sorry. But we dare not move past it because I have, this is personal for me. Because I have a daughter. It's personal for me. And, and lots of you have daughters, that some are here, some are other places perhaps, some are over in children's church. But we dare not move past the story of Esther without inviting, speaking our girls, our women, speaking to you about God's invitation to be a full participant, full, full-fledged participant in God's mission to the world. Now, I'm not going to delineate exactly how that needs to look. But there is no ceiling, glass or otherwise, on God's created children, men and women, boys and girls. And Esther shows us, I believe, just one of several women in the entire word of God that show to us God's unwillingness to leave out half the population or more now in extending his mission to the world. I mean, I think God's a little smarter than that. 
I'm thrilled to, that recently my alma mater, Nazarene Theological Seminary, elected a gal named Carla Sundberg to be their new president. Um, I met Carla a couple years ago, and uh, she's, just a, she's just an awesome lady. She's just a sweet lady. I was at this conference, and we were at the same table, and we just got to talk about all kinds of stuff together. It was great. Carla was a, her and her husband were our pioneer missionaries to Russia. First Nazarene missionaries in Russia. She's been a pastor. She's been a district superintendent. And now she's, she's got her PhD. She's, she's a smart lady. And she's the, uh, the new president of the seminary. And, and as I thought about telling you that, I thought, I'm kind of defeating my purpose in even highlighting the fact that we have a woman seminary president. Like, why should we even have to say that necessarily? And I pray for the day when it's no big deal. But for now, it is. And so I'm going to celebrate it and support it and be thankful for it and for the model that um, Esther and Carla are to, again, my own daughter and other women. And in fact, as Paul even writes, there is no male or female within the church of Jesus Christ. We're all one. And equally called to his service. I'll get off my soapbox now. It would be a mistake to believe, though, that this story is only for women. So men, jump back in with me anytime. All right? Are you here? Um, The story is ultimately for all of us who have been given the various talents and abilities the skills and the experiences, the hardships, the lessons of life, all that we've been given, all that God has allowed, all that God has brought, all that our choices have led us into, however all of that works together. The story is about God not letting any of that go without kind of wrapping it all up and saying, you're the person with all that stuff that I want to use for my glory. With all that stuff that's happened to you, whether random or by your choice or something that God brought into your life, that we might be prepared for such a time as this. Greg and I were actually talking about this passage a little bit the other night, and it would have been so easy. We were talking about this, Kirk Meyer and I, this Greg, about how um, it would have been so easy for Esther when she got the word from, from Mordecai. To, to, or actually from the servant who brought the word from Mordecai. It wasn't even, he wasn't even there. She didn't even have to look him in the eye. She could have just said, uh, you know what? Tell my cousin, tell that crazy guy running around out there that I'm busy. And I really don't know what he's talking about. And I don't have time for that right now. Self-protect. Hunker down. Circle the wagons. It would have been easy for her to send a message instead and say, yeah, it's just not right, the right time, Mordecai. I mean, I appreciate you asking, but ah, it's just, you know, maybe, maybe later. I didn't realize there won't be a later, but I, now it's just not the, the time for me to step up. Only a fool would risk all that I have Let God take care of our people. He'll figure it out another way. And Mordecai says, yes, he will, actually. 
any of us could say the same thing today. When we see that space, when we see that vacuum, when we see that openness of where we might be feeling called to step into, the reality is that most of us don't have to risk our lives to take a stand for God and his people. For us, it's just a little ridicule, maybe. For us, it's a sense of discomfort. For us, it's maybe being a little bit offensive to people who are easily offended by anything, really, that anyone might say anyway. Um, But for us, we need to be asking as well, where are the places and for whom are the people that perhaps God is calling us to stand, to go? What's the situation where God is saying, you were made for a time like this? Everything that you've got, everything that you bring to the table, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. Quit looking over your shoulder. Who has God positioned you to work for, to advocate for, to speak on behalf of? Well, my friend Peter Achenbach, I invited him to come. Coming up here, Peter. Um, there we go. Stand with me. Hold the mic. Um, many of you know Peter. And this guy is, uh, last time he stood here. I was getting married. He was getting married. Yeah. Woo! That was awesome. Yes. And uh, so you have good memories of being on this platform. I do. And uh, his lovely wife, Robin. We are so uh, thrilled and thankful for this couple, for this family, and uh, the ways God's at work in, in them. Uh, but I, I need you to know a little bit more about Peter, if you don't already, than the guy who sometimes pushes the buttons on the computer back there, and or Robin's husband. <laughs> Neither of those are bad identifications, but there's more to this guy that I wanted you just to get a sense of and to hear a little bit about how um, he is responding to God's invitation to be uh, God's person for such a time as this. So, uh, Peter, I want to just start by having you share with everybody just a little bit of your back story, a little bit of your history. And if maybe you can start with where we met and, and what had brought you to that place. Okay. So uh, it was, let's see, about this time in uh, 2009, and I had uh, entered into the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission. I entered in there because I was uh, an alcoholic and a drug addict, and I um, was also a man that didn't have God in his life, and, um, and I was broken and, and lost and essentially left behind, so, so I thought, you know, and and um, I don't know if you guys know, but, but James comes to the rescue mission every Thursday and preaches to the men there. And um, that's where I was reinter- reintroduced to the Lord. And uh, that was amazing, you know, to, ha- to have James come and spend time with us. And, and we, at the time, I was a mess. You know, I mean, I was um, terrified of everything, absolutely everything, and, and scared that uh, I would never be able to have a relationship with God again. Um, and James was nice enough to kind of put his arms around me and bring me, bring me into this fellowship and bring me back to the Lord, and, um, and then bring me here, to this, this church here. And, uh, you know, I got to know quite a, quite a few of you. A lot of people, you know, brought me in as, as like, one of the family. 
And, uh, you know, from being out on the streets and being without love and without family, you know, to have that was really uh, a gift. Um, and so, um, you know, I started coming, coming to... Can I ask you a quick question? Sure, yeah, please. Just talk, maybe this is what you're getting ready to go into, but talk a little bit about just kind of the transformation. About a little bit about where you, you've already kind of hit on this, where you were as you came into the mission, but talk about that, that year and, you know, even post about what God's been doing in you. Yeah, so uh, I spent a year at the rescue mission, and I graduated through the, the men's recovery program. And uh, what I learned there is that we all kind of have our purpose. You know, we have... Um, we have kind of a mission, so to speak, in life, and, and uh, we're all needed in the world. And I remember um, somebody saying that, you know, to me, and that really hit home, is that you're, you're needed, you know, that you're needed in this world. And, and so um, what I've learned, you know, is that we have this kind of purpose, and we need to be out there. And, uh, you know, I've learned that here from you guys, is, you know, and in Bible studies and uh, in, in the small groups that we have in, in people's homes here. And, and, and learning that in the Bible is that we, we have kind of work to do, you know, that we have to be out there. And, and, and that's kind of, and that brings us back into the world too. You know, and that's, that was my transformation is that, that I, could be, I could be of service, you know, and I can actually help somebody else that, that was, you know, in my shoes before. Yeah. So it's been a journey, and uh, I need to stand over here so we don't forget about our people over on the side. Um, it's been a journey, and God has led, and there have been some, you know, bumpy spots mm-hmm. along the road. But it seems like just even in the last couple of years, and even in recent last year, there seems like God's brought you to, I'm not going to call it a sweet spot, but kind of a sweet spot yeah. of just serving and living for him and finding kind of specific places where you can enter in. And I know there's a, a number, but could you just speak to, I don't know, two or yeah. three with some of the things where specifically you just said, hey, there's a space, and because of what God's done in me, I can't deny the fact that I need to step into it. Yeah. So like anything, like when you, when you find something that's really cool in life, it's not really cool unless you share it with somebody, right? You know, it's, it, it means more to have, you know, to be able to share it. And this was really cool to find the Lord and to find, you know, a peace in God. And that is something I, I wanted to share with people. And I didn't know quite how to do it. And I was still pretty timid, you know, and, and so I... You know, I was afraid that I didn't quite have it enough in me to give. You know, like maybe somebody else should have do it, should do it because they're better at it or they have more and they'd probably like to hear them rather than me. And, you know, that's just my own stuff. But really, that's not the truth. The truth is, is that we all have this, you know, gift that God has given us. And so, so I was trying to find places where, where am I going to, how am I going to reach out to people, you know, and where do I go? You know, I can't just reach, walk up to people on the street and praise the Lord, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, it doesn't quite work out too well that way. But so, so you know, I prayed about it. You know, I prayed, where do, you know, Lord, 
bring, bring opportunity for me so I can you know, sh show your love you know, through me. And, um, you know, God answers the prayers pretty quick. And right away I had these opportunities. You know, first opportunity was, was to, uh, I spent a year um, every month going up to California Men's Colony. And uh, that was a gift that was given to me, to, to be able to reach out to men uh, who are living their lives in prison and to fellowship with them to tell my story, and to listen to theirs, you know, and, and it was, I did that for a year, and it was just, I mean, a remarkable experience to, to connect to people that you wouldn't think that you could connect to, um, and, it, and it opened up my eyes to how I, how I look at other people in the world, and, and, and how I can approach, you know, people in my ministry, or the work that we do. And, um, you can call it a ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still feel a little weird about that. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so that, you know, that year ended, and, and I wasn't sure where to go. And, um, and then again, you know, you pray, and the, the Lord answers your prayers. And um, so the, ne the next opportunity I had was um, actually Deborah Hamrick brought me into um, a local organization, a nonprofit called Common Ground. And so this is an organization where we um, essentially do street work. We go out there in the street, and we, we connect to people that are, are living without homes. And so they live in camps. Um, they live on the sidewalk. They live in parks. They live wherever they can. And um, so... Our job is essentially to go out there and to meet them and to establish a relationship with them and then to ask them, you know, what, what, what can we pray for you, you know, in, in your life? What, what do you need? And what can the, the Lord bring you? And so our job is to not direct them or to, you know, direct their lives or anything like that. It's to just establish a relationship, to pray for them. And then when they're ready and they're, you know, have direction, and, um, you know, they're ready to either make a, make a move to get off the streets or to maybe try, attempt recovery from alcohol and drugs because that's pretty, you know, pretty apparent in that community. And so we're there to, to serve them. And, and so that's it. You know, we serve. And, um, and, and that comes in different forms. You know, it, sometimes it's a group, group of people. Sometimes it's one-on-one. -on -one. I prefer working, you know, one-on-one -on -one with somebody, and, and so that's what we do. And in fact, if there's anybody that's interested in doing that kind of work, outreach work, uh, Common Ground is having a training on March 14th in town. Um, if you're interested, come and see me. Also, there's one in Lompoc on the 22nd of March. And so, just a little side note there, if, if anybody, a <laughs> little plug for Common Ground. Amen. Um, but so, yeah, so that's it, you know, and that's, that's what we do, right? I mean, that's, yeah. it seems like what I've learned from, from you and from our church is that, and, and this church is awesome because we are, we're a church of action. You know, we get out there and we, we do the work that God asks us to do. And so I've learned that from you guys, and I love you for it. Awesome. Let's pray for Peter. Thank you, Jesus, for this man and his willingness to, 
step into some space where maybe not a lot of other people have stepped and just to be willing to <clears throat> offer all of him, all, all the great stuff that you've poured into him as well as all the tragic experiences that have riddled his life, to bring it all submitted to you and to say, use me for your glory. And you're, you've done that and you're doing that. And, and we couldn't be prouder of him as one of us. And we pray your blessing upon him in days to come. In Jesus' name. When I <clears throat> thought of Peter to share, my, my mind was actually filled with many who could share similar stories of God's uh, grace and goodness in their lives and their willingness to respond. These are, uh, uh, you're, my, you're my hero, <laughs> Peter, and uh, you guys who are doing this heroic so I ask you, I mean, our, uh, our day, we can't go a week without it being some other kind of reminder as to the tragedy and the devastation in our world. Next week is uh, International uh, Day of Remembering Human Trafficking, next Sunday, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, and we'll... Heard some reports this week, some news reports on just the extent and the devastation of, of human trafficking. And, uh, and we can't go uh, very long at all without thinking about the situation of orphans in our own world and kids in um, foster care or group home set situations, um, both from the youngest to the high school kids who are uh, dropping off everybody's radars. Um, Immigrants, documented or undocumented, all around us all the time. And how are we responding? Again, children and youth. We, we, we talked about a lot of these at the Missions Ignite conference a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure that's one of the reasons why it's still so fresh in my thinking. There's no, I guess I want to say there's no lack of need. There's no lack of space into which God's people are being summoned to step. And um, I, I like this because we can't, none of us can try and understand why all the things that have happened to us have happened to us. I mean, it's easy. We couldn't just say, well, God's plan, you know. And I'm all right with that. I, I even think it's, it is that and it's more. It's like this crazy blend of our choices and our history and our um, things that have happened to us and things that we've made. It's just wild. But I just love this beautiful idea that God says, yeah, everything you got, everything that's happened to you, everything that you've done, whether you're proud of it or not, yeah, bring that. That's what I want. Bring that. And watch how I am able to transform it and use it for my purposes and for my mission in the world. It's a beautiful thing. 
Um, maybe it's not one of these things like orphan care or human trafficking. Maybe it's just simply on a smaller scale and paying attention to the, the, the little things that are happening all around you. Maybe it's a friend who is discouraged. Maybe it's a, a brother or a sister who's struggling in their marriage. And maybe it's a parenting kind of issue that, that you know. You, some daily little way that you can just speak a word of encouragement or comfort into somebody's life. I'm just continually struck both by how the things that I feel are just pretty little and insignificant seem to have such um, impact when I actually say them out to people. And the same thing when people say things to me that maybe they were just kind of throwaway comments like, you know, I really think you're neat or something, James. Um, how, how those things just like build me and edify me and, and kind of give me the strength to be able to do what I didn't know if I could do anymore for a little bit longer. Um, are we willing to listen to God whispering in our ear, offering us, I love this, the blessed privilege of, quote, unquote, saving his people? Maybe saving his people doesn't always mean from genocide. Maybe it means from just dying a little slow daily death every day. Maybe by our simple acts of loving obedience, we can impact individuals, our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, our nation, our world. If we would hear Esther's comment and make it our own, I'll go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. One's written this. Listen to these words. Often moments of significance cannot be planned or foreseen. They can only be received. Esther was the recipient of a moment in time when an open door appeared, and she went through it with spiritual, not human, force. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. Where's the Spirit opening doors for us today? Where's God's Spirit guiding and leading and placing us to be used for His purpose? May we be ready when called upon. May we be ready for such a time as this. God, thanks for your graciousness and for your constant use of people who don't fit the profile of heroism. Thank you for your steadfast presence where even when your name perhaps isn't explicitly mentioned, it's clear that your fingerprints and your presence is all over the story of this person's life, of this story that we've read this morning. Thank you, God, that you're still inviting people like my friend Peter and like so many others here before me uh, to step into specific spaces that we, perhaps even unbeknownst to us, have been, have been uniquely and dare I say, perfectly shaped to step into, to, to, to serve and to, and to act on your behalf, on behalf of others, in a way that maybe no one else could. A unique privilege, role, and responsibility that is ours. And so, 
God, I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a spirit to receive the doors that are opening before us, and a strength to step into and through them. And as we consider such a notion, we're mindful today of one who did that for us, your own son, Jesus Christ, who stepped through a door of opportunity to give fully of himself on a cross so that we might be forgiven of our sin and who was raised from the dead that we too might be raised to new life, empowered to serve and give ourselves fully for you. So, God, today, as we receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, as we eat and as we drink, may we not only be reminded of Jesus' great sacrifice on our behalf, but may we be nurtured by these... uh, these very gifts to us, his body and blood. And may we be encouraged to be broken and spilled out ourselves for the the world in which we live. We love you. And we come with humble and open hearts now to receive from you. In Jesus' name.